Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. all hope that it happens frankly we all want that back we all want to see the days where we have that distraction of football but OTAs that's no not shot. happening yeah. the offseason program that's not happening the draft is happening only through the sheer force and determination and lack of foresight from Phil Franklin I mean they're they are determined to put this on well there is carnage in the streets Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and insightful fan discussion. Most times. Here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Circling the Wagons, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Nate, and we have a great episode for you guys. We are going to discuss the Brandon Bean press conference with the Buffalo media that took place this last week on the first time he's talked to the Buffalo Bills beat reporters since the end of February in Indianapolis at the NFL Scouting Combine. We're going to talk about that. There are some really good uh, notes from that discussion and things that I want to bring up on this podcast. Also want to discuss how it leads into uh, Brandon Bean and the front office and the Bills front office discussion on coronavirus or their thought process heading into what we're dealing right now with COVID-19 and the coronavirus and um, just the over overall overarching thoughts that set this regime up for where it's going to be come this summer, come uh, training camp. We're going to discuss all of those things in this podcast as far as you know, timelines of coronavirus in general, where it leads. I mean, we can't, I feel like we can't not talk about the items as they stand in our world because each of us is dealing with it in one way or another. Either we're not going to work or we've lost our jobs or we know people have been affected by, with it. So I'm going to transition into some general discussions and topics on the coronavirus as it relates to the NFL, to the Buffalo Bills, uh, the future timeline of the NFL. Um, from a standpoint, we're going to talk about some of the dates that are coming up. Do we think we'll, we'll, the NFL will actually proceed and make it through those dates and we'll have a season, an off season, um, everything like that, and, uh, and maybe even give some personal stories on, um, on how the coronavirus has affected us personally. But I'd like to welcome my co-hosts, John and Mike. Fellas, it is good to talk to you. Are you safe and sound? Hey. Right, good John. to be here, Nate. It's good to talk to you, John. How about you, Mike? Nate, great to be here. So the first thing, let's get right into it. Um, Brandon Bean, this last Thursday, talked to reporters 
and discussed for over an hour all the questions that they had, all the Bills beat reporters that you know of, Joe Biscalia, uh, Marcel Louis-Jacques, um, all of the guys, Jay Skirsky, and he took a bunch of questions. And uh, there were some interesting notes that I took down from it um, in watching it a few times and things that I wanted to bring up with you on this podcast um, if you haven't had a chance to see it. So the first thing, uh, let's go right into Stefan Diggs. And Brandon Bean had basically mentioned he had been kicking the tires on trading for Stefan Diggs since the trade deadline late last October, but nothing had come of it. In fact, the Vikings weren't interested in trading Diggs this offseason, but things changed within you know a matter of a, of a day or hours, and their asking price went down, and Bean felt like it would be a worthwhile, like it was a worthwhile price. So previously and before the trade deadline, they were asking for a lot more. All of a sudden, you know, even even though Bean was asking about it prior to the trade, um, it was just all of a sudden, you know, it, it made sense that all they had to give away was a, fir- a first, a fifth, a sixth, and they got Stefan Diggs um, and a seventh round pick. So uh, the moral of the story, in my opinion, it, it's funny. It's one of those things where I really got to give credit to this regime and this front office because they at least kick the tires on a lot of these options and a lot of these players, whereas I think previous front offices didn't even bother to ask. And I think just the moral of the story is, you know, if you don't if you don't ask, you don't get it, right? Like if if he if Brandon Bean doesn't call up the Minnesota GM and say, hey, is is there any possibility? Then he doesn't even know if there's a talking point. But because he did his due diligence back in October of last year, it set him up for success in in pulling off this trade um, this year in March. So we mentioned in a previous podcast um, the Bills not really having a lot of familiarity with um, Stefan Diggs uh, specifically in their in their coaching staff, but um, in fact Terrence Gray, the director of college scouting uh, for the Buffalo Bills, had worked with the Minnesota Vikings in a previous job right before he came to Buffalo. He spent eleven seasons with Minnesota Vikings as an area scout, so he had a lot of familiarity with Stefan Diggs and it helped in. And bringing this all about and giving Brandon Bean some insight into who Diggs was as a player, as a guy in the locker room, and um, you know everything, all of the items that you're worried about. Is he a diva? Does he work hard? You know all the things that that I guess you wouldn't necessarily know unless you had somebody within the office, within the front office, within the locker room that that had seen those things up front and, and personal. And the Bills had Terrence Gray to give that information. Brandon Bean mentioned a few times how he views Stefan Diggs as their first round pick. Um, he mentioned the draft this year specifically being stacked with wide receivers, as we know of. Everyone seems to talk about how stacked this draft is with wide receivers, but um, he took into account what was going on around us, meaning COVID-19. And, um, and he basically kind of knew what he doesn't know, but he was speculating on what kind of off season the Bills are going to have and therefore went with a proven commodity in Stefan Diggs as opposed to he felt like he would have had to give up a lot more in terms of draft picks to trade up high enough to get a wide receiver that he felt comfortable with starting on day one. So, I mean, in a lot of draft circles, there's three wide receivers that people feel are the best in the class. I think Brandon Bean probably looked at the teams in front of him, looked at, he even mentioned how all the picks that he gave away would have equaled like the 18th or 19th overall pick in the first round. So Bean looked at that and he's like, well, if I get to the 18th or 19th pick, I probably won't get one of the guys I really want that could make an instant impact. 
And uh, I, I know we've talked about this uh, on this podcast. I know wide receivers usually take two to three years to really come into their own and learn a system from um, the college level uh, to get there. And, and being mentioned, it's not a matter of intelligence or physical play. A lot of it is just terminology. They're given signs from the sidelines as far as what routes to run. And it's just a completely different game in on the pro level as opposed to college level. And, and you don't know how long it's going to take for a kid in college to acclimate to that. So they decided to go with the proven commodity in Stefan Diggs, and they got a guy that hopefully can go in day one and make an impact. Bean was asked later if Diggs would be okay with his current quote-unquote team-friendly contract or if he'd want an extension. Because right now, Stefan Diggs is making roughly 11 to $12 million a year on average. And when you look at the kind of contract that was given out to Amari Cooper, which was like $20 million, per year in a contract. Um, it's it's suffice to say either he's going to come in demanding a new contract like Sean McCoy did, or after one season want a new contract, um, something the likes of Amari Cooper or maybe something to that level. Uh, Bean did not get into it. He would not get into it. He said, I appreciate the question, but I don't like to talk about those things in the media. He's like, I like to you know just deal with them on, on you know, between the agents and, and the players. But he did say that, you know, Stefan Diggs is really excited to be here. He's looking forward to getting him into the locker room. Another interesting uh, note going into more players that the Bills signed, Mario Addison was actually, um, so we all know Mario Addison spent his career with, uh, or most of his career with the Carolina Panthers. But uh, Bean actually picked up Mario Addison from the uh Washington Redskins practice squad at one point. So uh, Brandon Bean was an interim, and I didn't know this about Brandon Bean until I did some research into it. Brandon Bean was an interim GM for 10 weeks in Carolina before the Panthers hired then GM Dave Gettleman. So in those 10 weeks, he signed Mario Addison off of the Redskins practice squad and made him a Carolina Panther. And since then, I mean, he's had, he's had a really good career. Um, he's posted a lot of sacks. Um, we mentioned in previous podcasts how this is the kind of guy that we were hoping Shaq Lawson would turn into. So um, I thought that was kind of cool. I did not know that Brandon Bean did that. Um, I knew he was an undrafted rookie, but he had bounced around from different teams. And um, speaking of bouncing around, Addison was actually roommates with Jerry Hughes, their rookie season in Indianapolis. So Mario Addison, an undrafted rookie with the Indianapolis Colts, um, roomed with Jerry Hughes. And uh, they still keep in touch, both those guys. And both guys really uh, are potentially the two starting defensive ends for the Buffalo Bills this season. I thought that was very interesting. And uh, Bean feels very confident in Mario Edison despite his age. Going along the Carolina Panthers connections, he talked about Vernon Butler real quick. He said, Bean basically reiterated his confidence in Mario Edison and Vernon Butler because of the feedback he got from Eric Washington, the Bills defensive line coach and the former defensive coordinator in Carolina. Um, he felt like Butler was like Jordan Phillips in that it came together last year for um, for Vernon Butler, and uh, it reminded him a lot of Jordan Phillips and the fact that Jordan Phillips really came into his own this last season. He saw a lot of that in Vernon Butler, and uh, Bean feels like he can continue to produce for the for the Bills on on this defensive line. He mentioned real quick on Eric Washington. Bean had this to say about him. He basically said that no defensive line brought more sacks than Carolina's defensive line during uh, Eric Washington's tenure there in Carolina. So I thought that was a really cool sign. Um, I think that that's what they're hoping to get uh, 
from Eric. And like I've kind of mentioned before, he's good. He's good insurance in case Leslie Frazier ends up becoming uh, a head coach somewhere in the next year or two with the way that the Bills have been doing um, defensively. So um, they have a stipulation plan just just set up just in case uh, Frazier ends up leaving. Quentin Jefferson, the defensive lineman for, out of Seattle, uh, mentioned earlier that uh, didn't really see a connection between Quentin Jefferson and Stephon Diggs with the Buffalo Bills, but uh, Brandon Bean on this conference call mentioned the connection between Quentin Jefferson um, and the Buffalo Bills and the fact that Dan Morgan, who is the Bills' director of player personnel, spent time with him in his stint in Seattle. So uh, Dan Morgan was the was a, a scout. He basically became an intern after he finished his professional career as a linebacker um, in the NFL. He went on to become an intern, a scout, and director of pro personnel with the Seattle Seahawks, and that's when the Bills signed Dan Morgan to become their director of player personnel with the Buffalo Bills. So um, so that was the familiarity. Um, Dan Morgan uh, recognized Quinn Jefferson from his time there and obviously felt good about that, and that's why they made the signing there. So uh, we're going to get into, like, there was only one player from this whole free agent class that the Bills front office and coaching staff didn't have familiarity with, um, and we'll get into that for a minute in, in, in a minute. Daryl Williams, the uh, the newly signed offensive tackle slash guard. Um, Brandon Bean had this to say about him. Basically uh, mentioned that that Williams played out of position in Carolina as he played at left tackle out of necessity. But as they got their left tackle back from injury, he went back to the right side. His play improved a lot. It was he basically views it as a similar move to when the Bills signed Trent Murphy a couple of years ago, and Trent Murphy had to deal with a serious knee knee injury, just like uh, Darrell Williams did. But Darrell Williams right now is two years removed from that serious knee injury, so the Bills are hoping that he can regain his dominance. He was he was second team All Pro um, two seasons ago as right tackle, so they're hoping he can get to get to that uh, level and compete with uh, Cody Ford, Tynesecki and uh, potentially John Feliciano. Brandon Bean was also asked if they did enough by only adding Darrell Williams and re-signing Quentin Spain on the offensive line to protect Josh Allen, and Bean says he thinks so. He mentioned that having the entire offensive line back together, all of their starters, including some of their depth players like Ike Buttiger and uh, Spencer Long, that having all of those guys back in the offensive line room together and having another season to gel and get on the same page in the same system will be beneficial. And he thinks the results should hopefully be seen that way this year. So we'll see. Uh, and he mentioned if he wasn't, he, he said this, if you, if, if I wasn't confident in the offensive line, as it stands right now, I would have added another piece or two in free agency. He mentioned TJ Yeldon right now Bean feels like he can be an RB two and carry a full load if Singletary does go down. Um, that's not to say that they won't add somebody still in free agency or the draft, but uh, a lot of people wondering if TJ Yeldon could be that second running back for the Bills, and at least at this point, I mean, he's he's going to say that. He's not going to say, I guess, that TJ Yeldon, he's like, I don't really know if he can handle it. He's going to say it, but at least, you know, at this virtual press conference, he thinks that uh, TJ Yeldon can handle the load. Somebody mentioned, uh, somebody asked his thoughts on the AFC East and people mentioning that the Bills are now the team to beat in the AFC East. And uh, Bean's reply to that was like, listen, you know, Bill Belichick is still in this division. 
And until you beat Bill Belichick, until you beat them, until you become a better team than them, then they're going to be the favorites to win this division every season until that's proven wrong. And so that's kind of where I want to open it up, start opening up with uh, you, Mike and John, and your thoughts on that. Right now, the odds in the AFC East of which team will win the AFC East based on Bovada futures. So the AFC East, Buffalo Bills are at a plus 115. They have the best odds right now to win the AFC East. The New England Patriots have the second best odds at plus 130. So you're talking minuscule amount of uh, of difference between those two odds. And then you're talking the Jets are at plus 800 and the Dolphins are at plus 1,000. So very unlikely, at least in Vegas's eyes, of the Dolphins or Jets winning the AFC East, but they put the Bills just slightly ahead of the New England Patriots of winning the AFC East. And although I really agree with Brandon Bean, I mean, you really, until, <laughs> I mean, and he mentioned this in the press conference, the, the one season they didn't have Tom Brady, they went 11-5 and five and, and just barely missed the playoffs with Matt Castle as their quarterback. So Bel- Bill Belichick is that good of a head coach. Do you think that this is the season that the Bills could potentially take the AFC East? Or do you think, that, do you believe what Brandon Bean says? And it doesn't matter if, Tom Brady's gone. It doesn't matter that they really haven't added anyone of significance at the quarterback position since Brady has left, that they're still the team to beat in the AFC East. Well, I think it's a little bit of both, really. Um, I, I can see the odds, the Bills being a slight favorite. I could see that being the case. Um, but at the same time, they haven't won the division yet either. So they might be have better odds this year to do it, but they still have to do it. Mike, what do you think? To be the best, you got to beat the best, right? I think so. I think Belichick's proven himself for decades as the best coach in the league. So, yeah, until something changes, absolutely. Well, it's easy when you cheat. So I agree with both of you guys. As much as I want to crown the Bills as the AFC East champion, and a lot of it looks really good on paper, and the fact that you have a lot of a lot of good things going for the Bills that a lot of the other teams in the division don't have. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But, um, you know, until you beat Bill Belichick, I mean, he is the best coach in NFL history, in my opinion, just with the way he's just, I mean, remember, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Remember a couple of years ago when, you know, the Rams were the highest powered offense in the NFL and he kept them to like under 20 points in the Super Bowl. It's just like going back to remember when he was defensive coordinator for the New York Giants in Super Bowl 25 against the Bills. It was a K-gun offense and they were blowing they were obliterating teams. That was the that was the team that beat the the Oakland Raiders or the Los Angeles Raiders at the time 51 to 3 to get into the Super Bowl and you're like this team's going to score like 40 points against the Giants, and they couldn't even muster up 20. So, I, I mean, until Bill Bell... It's, it's hard to believe that he's been killing us for that long, too, by the way. Like, it's unbelievable. But until Bill Belichick retires, I'm still going to think that they are the odds-on favorite to win the AFC East every time. And I think he did le- He did great last year, considering he was working with a declining Tom Brady, um, who clearly wasn't the same Tom Brady as he had been the past 20 years. So... As far as the second or third wave of free agency, I guess you could say, Bean says he's 80% focused on the draft right now, but he is still looking at free agents whose price have gone down and will consider adding more 
if he feels like it's a bargain. So people, a lot of people out there are saying that the Bills um, RB2 spot is a big need, especially over Twitter. I've seen that a lot. I guess I would say there's a still a potential the Bills could add a guy like a Lamar Miller or a Carlos Hyde or someone to that effect, a Devonta Freeman. And then all of a sudden that RB2 role or the RB2 hole, you know, basically gets removed. And then the Bills, he, he as far as draft strategy, and he's mentioned this before, but I want to reiterate it to, to all the listeners because I know the draft is coming up soon. He does mention that he spends the first few rounds going best player available based on talent, based on whatever, and that he spends the last few rounds going for position of need. And he does this because his, and these are his words, is that, you know, the talent level is so good at the first few rounds, you could get a starter, a potential starter down the road from those. If you don't, if you just go best player available in the last few rounds, then you're talking about players that probably won't make the team. Whereas if you get them at positions of need, they could potentially make the team just based out of necessity. So you're talking about like Daryl Johnson last year. In the seventh round, they took defensive end Daryl Johnson, and he ended up making the team because that was a position of need. They needed a defensive end. So um, just something to keep in mind, although I will say I don't necessarily know if Brandon Bean sticks to his method of best player available because he seems to always move up to get players <laughs> in positions of need. So, uh, you know, it's his own it's his own view on it at least. The last thing of note that I'll bring up from Brandon Bean's press conference is he did mention Harrison Phillips. Bean said he he's hoping that he'll be ready for training camp if there is one. And knock on wood, everything seems to be going just well for the rehab of the third-year defensive tackle. He's hoping, like I said, to be ready by training camp. So that's, that's clearly a good sign. Um, Harrison Phillips went down uh, very early last season with a torn ACL. So... So yeah, let's now let's go into our coronavirus um, COVID nineteen portion of the program, and and I mentioned that the Bills had familiarity with every single free agent that they signed or re-signed. So you're talking about. Let me just go over all of the free agents that the Bills have signed or re-signed. Um, I mentioned that they traded for Stephon Diggs. We mentioned the relationship there with the Buffalo Bills. Um, now let's go through all the signings. Josh Norman, obviously a signing from uh, his his career with the Carolina Panthers and Sean McDermott. A.J. Klein was a, a former Panther, linebacker A.J. Klein. Defensive end Mario Addison was a former Panther, so familiarity there. Linebacker Tyler Medikevich from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now he's a special teamer. Brandon B. noted that. Uh, that should be his focal point. But he is the only person that the Bills re-signed or signed that did not have any experience with any of the current coaching staff or anyone on the roster, but they saw what he could do special teams wise. And they're like, this guy's a beast. He's going to instantly upgrade our squad to be uh, a lot better. He, whereas he felt they needed a lot more improvement uh, from what they had last season. We mentioned uh, defensive lineman, Quinn Jefferson coming from the Seahawks, his relationship with Dan Morgan when he was there, uh, defensive tackle Vernon Butler from the Carolina Panthers, obvious connection running back Taiwan Jones, uh, formerly with the Buffalo Bills, uh, cornerback EJ Gaines, formerly with the Buffalo Bills, offensive tackle Daryl Williams, uh, formerly with the Panthers. So um, every single guy, I mean, we'll go over, you know, Spencer Long was his, his option was picked up. 
He was with the Bills last season. Quentin Spain resigned, was with the Bills last season. Jordan Poyer, uh, contract extension, was with the Bills last season, obviously. Isaiah McKenzie with the Bills last season. And Safety Dean Marlowe with, was with the Bills last season. So if you look at everything that they've done in its entirety, and this was asked by Brandon Bean, did you do that with the intention that you know what we're seeing from this pandemic may actually leak into the offseason activities and training camp that you wanted as many guys on uh, on both sides of the ball that had familiarity with the system and they could come right in and start playing from day one. And he mentioned, without saying specifically that that was the case, that he took that into account. And when you look at all the moves that the Bills have done, it seems like that is exactly what they're trying to do. The Bills have in my opinion, a clear advantage in this climate of uncertainty with what's going on in our country, what's going on you know, in our daily lives that each of us is dealing with in one way or another. And in the, as far as the NFL goes, I mean, they from continuity, they have 20 of their 22 starters back from last season, basically replacing Lorenzo Alexander with uh, Stephon Diggs. And they have all the same players back. You have the same offensive line back. You have... you know, uh, basically the same secondary back for the most part it's it's they're bringing back you know the same team so somebody from twitter uh riverfish on twitter wrote you know if if the otas are canceled or delayed how much does this hamper the development of draft picks and i wrote just in general not even specifically draft picks but the one saving grace that the bills have is that everyone is in the same boat or worse than them in the entire nfl because the bills are bringing back every facet from their front office and coaching staff from last year. Not one of their coaches besides besides their defensive line coach left the Buffalo Bills. Now, one piece of their front office has left for another position. They've kept everything intact and most of their starters intact. So I think this will be huge for the Buffalo Bills to start 2020 if there is an abbreviated offseason or, or, or training camp or whatever, if there's no training camp whatsoever. And I know this isn't specific. I know he had asked about draft picks. I know this isn't specific to draft picks, but you know, the Bills will be in the same boat as everyone or better. Because think about how many different coaching staffs there are in the NFL. Think about, um, you know, first-round picks. The Bills don't have a first-round pick, obviously, this year. It was It's basically Stephon Diggs. But uh, they don't need a, a first-round pick to come in in maybe the end of August or September, learn the playbook, and be ready. Like, they'll be there from, I mean, they won't have to worry about that. An impact starter needing to be a draft pick. I mean, they will get, or or, or let's say they, they signed a, a high-end free agent. Like, let's say you're the Buccaneers and you just signed Tom Brady. I mean, you can give him your playbook, but he might not get any of the reps with Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, all of their receivers and tight ends, their offensive line, everything, until day one of the season. And how much more of an advantage do the Bills have over that than a team like the Buccaneers or the team that just has a new coaching staff put in place that hasn't had a chance to really gel with their players or or give them the playbook? And I mean, this is just huge for the Buffalo Bills. So um, I guess... That's that's my thought on, on this. Um, do you guys see it the same way, or do you agree with what I just mentioned? Yeah, I didn't think about it that way, but um, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I already thought the Bills were going to be pretty big contenders for the Super Bowl this year, but now that's a shoe-in. It's a guarantee, right? <laughs> Mike, what about you? Oh, I agree. It's real nice position to be in. Is it weird to say that this is actually helping the Bills, p- potentially? You know, I mean, if you think about everything I just mentioned, you know, having an abbreviated offseason is probably it actually benefits them 
more than a lot of other teams because this is the same offensive system they've had for the past two years. This is the same defensive system they've had for the past three years. I mean, all these guys are going to come in. All other, you know, 10 out of 11 starters in the Buffalo Bills know this scheme. It's not a difference for them, you know, and especially you talk about, like, like I mentioned, Mario Addison, uh, Vernon Butler. I mean, they're all familiar with this scheme and system. Um, so this will be, they're already going to come in potentially from day one, being able to start and knowing what their assignments are, which is huge. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. So now let's get into the thoughts of how coronavirus, how COVID-19 could potentially affect the NFL season. Now, um, Nick Bat from the Nick and Nolan show had uh, two different epidemiologists on to really discuss the ins and outs of, you know, uh, the virus itself, uh, all of that information going into understanding how it affects people, how it's being tested currently, where it could go from there. It was a really great conversation. I would recommend you guys uh, listen to that if you haven't, or re-listen to it again. Um, we're not going to go over all of the the intricacies that they went into because we're not experts in anything of that. But this is just talking about the NFL season from our standpoint. And we'd be remiss not to talk about coronavirus in general. I mean, we talked about it a month ago, guys. Just, just <laughs> we were talking about which free agents the Bills or which potential free agents the Bills had that they should let walk or or re-sign. And then, you know, we talked about it just randomly for eight minutes. And I guess who would have thought that right now, you know, like a lot of us would be working from home. A lot of us have either lost our jobs or been furloughed and it has become that big of a deal. It's just, I mean, how can you not even think about it or talk about it um, since then? And and I feel like that's kind of where we're at as a podcast, as, as a country right now that's being affected by it. I mean, we're all... Um, all three of us are located in Western New York, and so obviously we see, you know, day in and day out, the governors uh, constantly giving us updates on what's happening in, in the in the state, um, in New York City specifically, where it's really being hit very hard, and the effects of it. So um, I thought this would be a topic that we could discuss in general, but also as it relates to the NFL and the Buffalo Bills. I just mentioned earlier about how I think it actually kind of not in a, not in a weird, I guess. Not in a dark way, but it, how it affects the Buffalo Bills in a positive way. But you know how it could, how it's already affecting the NFL season. So they eliminated all player visits for draft picks. Um, pro days were eliminated right after I got off my phone conversation with Matthew Fairburn a few weeks ago in our interview. Uh, and then they basically pulled. Uh, Brandon Bean talked about pulling all his scouts off the road within a matter of hours. So this is this is you know it just ramped up completely from where it was just a month ago. So anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, it's affecting the NFL season in ways that, you know, players can't do medical evaluations. And I think it's one of the reasons why you're seeing a lot of these players potentially not get signed, like a guy like Cam Newton. 
Um, Brandon Bean talked about him. I mean, one of the reasons he thinks he's not signed right now is because people he's had a lot of injuries the last couple of years. People can't do medical evaluations of him right now. When they can get him in his in their facility, they will be able to get a better look at him and see if he's ready to play. Right now, we just found out this past weekend that the NFL draft will be held virtually. This is kind of something. I mean, this is unprecedented as far as I know in the last in the modern era of the NFL draft. The NFL draft has become this huge spectacle, which I'm a huge fan of. This ridiculousness is the NFL draft with the blue, the green room, and players, you know, getting calls from their agents or their, their, you know, parents and brothers and sisters and everyone hugging them. To now, as it stands right now, it'll go on as scheduled, as Roger, as Roger Goodell stated um, this past weekend. The event was originally scheduled to take place in Las Vegas from April 23rd to April 25th. But with the coronavirus pandemic going down, it's led to jurisdictional quarantines and shelter-in-place orders that led the league to basically scrap their Vegas plans and instead working to piece together a draft that will likely see them broadcast from a remote location. You know, with cutaways to teams on the clock and up to 50 prospects that you'll be able to see from like Skype or Zoom or whatever. So now the plan itself is in jeopardy and, and Goodell may have to adapt yet to like a rapidly changing landscape dominated by, you know, the COVID-19 concerns. But um, I mean, this is Brandon Bean basically said he would do the draft. He doesn't, he has no idea what's going to happen and nobody does right now in the NFL. They're kind of taking it day by day. And by the time we post this, you know, Monday morning, it could have changed by then even, but um, right now the, the draft can be held virtually over Skype or Zoom or whatever. And, uh, I mean, it's already starting to affect, there, there's a good chance Adam Schefter was just on ESPN this past week saying that there's an unlikelihood of the OTAs, minicamp and OTAs happening this year. Um, so if you, if I'm looking at the NFL important timeline dates, I just mentioned the draft between April 23rd and April 25th. Um, you can do a three day post draft rookie minicamp from May 1st to May 4th. You can do... Um, a three-day post-draft rookie minicamp from May 8th to May 11th. From May 14th to May 17th, you can do, that's where you do OTAs and minicamps. And then up until the end of July is when the next event happens. And the end of July is the beginning of training camp. So, you know, in discussion with this, with you guys in general, um, I, I posted this poll on Twitter, will the 2020 NFL regular season be played? And and this is just, I was just trying to get a feel for what Bills fans are thinking. Is is this going to happen or not? Because as much as I think, you know, we've been told as a country, you know, April 30th right now is the time when we're going to continue our social isolation. We don't know if that's going to continue past April 30th right now. But um, so we're kind of taking it, you know, as a country, week by week, uh, month by month. But um, as of, you know, last week, there was almost 400 votes. Um, I asked if the 2020 NFL regular season was going to be played. Um, 69% said yes, but no minicamp and OTAs. 21% said yes, but no training camp. And 10% said no in general. So I want to have this discussion with you guys, Mike and John, um, and just kind of spitball with you guys, because I think it's an interesting conversation to discuss. I mean, we know it affects our our lives, our personal lives, our work lives, Um and, you know, I'm, I I can't help but think in the future, will we have an NFL season this year? Because the way things are going, you know, you looked at you look at uh, Major League Baseball 
season is suspended indefinitely. Um, the NBA season is suspended indefinitely. NHL season is suspended indefinitely. I mean, you know, the NFL season starts in in September. Will we have a season or not? So let's let's first go over um, training camp. We don't think mini camps and OTA. You guys agree, mini camp and OTAs are probably not going to happen in the middle of the beginning of middle of May if the draft is not going to happen at the end of April. Would you guys agree with that? I agree. So here's yeah. a qu- so here's a question I want to discuss with you guys as a podcast. The end of July is when training camp opens up at St. John Fisher. Do you think the Bills? Do you think that we'll be in a state in this country? where we'll be ready to have something like that, where you're talking about guys uh, living in dormitories together, being in close proximity, getting, you know, meals in a meal hall, practicing together. Um, You know, if they do have them, will they have them open to the public where a guy, where people are standing in in benches together, much closer than the six feet limit. Um, Will they, will they exist, but not be televised or, or not televised, but uh, open to the public. Um, You know, in general, I think this is just an interesting conversation, uh, Mike. I mean, I'll I'll start with you. I know I know you've been, you were the first one that introduced our podcast and our listeners specifically to the coronavirus epidemic. Uh, but do you think that training camp could open up at the end of July? And and um, do you think there will be any limitations when we get there? I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, it's unknowable. It changes day to day. I think uh, interesting question for sure. I think in the larger scheme of things, by geez, end of April, mid May, certainly end of May, you've got to start thinking about getting people back to work. In the sense of, you can't have another great depression, or you'd kill more people from the economic fallout than you would from the virus. Um, but that's not to say that's not everybody, right? Like certain at-risk populations can certainly mitigate things on their own, right? Continue to self-isolate. So I don't think there's a lot of different question when you talk about specifically the NFL, like maybe certain people have gone back to work, people beyond the elderly, people in more essential things, but that doesn't mean like you should have crowds at an NFL game, right? Until we have a vaccine. I think there's a a couple layers to getting back to normal in in your question. Okay. What do you think? Those are those are really good points as far as you know an economic standpoint. Like I look at where I work, right? So there's there's I mean you're not talking about a crowded locker room, right? With like a, almost a hundred people, like you would see in training camp or a regular game, even you know with between coaching and personnel. Um, training staff, um, players, and stuff like that. I mean, like, let's say I, I work in an office of like around sixty people. I mean, it, I I agree that you could probably have us all function. I don't even know if you could, because let's say somebody within the office that we know of has it or gets it, then you have to shut the whole office down again, right? You can't expose people within a certain work environment where you're going to be in the same area together, and and. Legally, like you're talking economically, like legality, um, you can't do that because you could be looking at a lawsuit. You made me go back to work and I got coronavirus and I got sick or whatever. I missed three weeks of work or whatever. You know, it's I I, I don't know how I don't know how you get past that. And I I agree. So so there comes a certain point where the economy has to (laughs) as long as you're not, you know, subjecting people to 
to an area at very high at risk. I mean, I don't know. You could go down another rabbit hole. It's like, well, people in hospitals are at risk all the time. <laughs> you know, then they're required. So I don't know, John. John, what do you what do you think of all of this? I know we're going off a few different tangents, but I, I, I guess I guess this is this is what I will say to this before before you jump in, John, is that I think testing has to get much better than it is right now. As as we're standing right now, as the time of, of the recording, there's been 1.2 million cases within the within the world, and you're looking at the U.S. having over 300,000 of those cases as the most in in the entire world. And then it goes on from there between Italy, China, um, the UK, and other countries. So, But the problem I always see with these numbers, which they're very, I mean, it's it's crazy. It's, it's unbelievable to think that we're talking about these numbers. But the thing that gets me is the testing isn't quite there yet. So you're talking about 1.2 million reported cases. Well, those are the only, for the most part, those are the only people that that knew that they were really sick, that they tested to make sure that they had this virus before they treated them as such, as opposed to you're not talking about the three or four people that the, that person lives with, because as of right now, unless you're a celebrity or someone very rich, you're not getting tested to see if you have coronavirus. You just assume to have it. So you don't count in that 1.2 million. So really that 1.2 million is a very watered down number, in my opinion. So the first thing that you could do to to help get this point where we will have an NFL season by July is testing has to happen. So you have to have uh, people getting tested in and out of the facility, right? So if you go to training camp, by the day, day one, you report to St. John Fisher, you need to be tested. Do you have coronavirus? Uh, you know, are, do you have any, are you asymptomatic right now? Are you carrying, but you don't know it? Are you carrying and you'll never actually have any of the symptoms ever? You know, we need to prove that. Do you have antibodies? You know, do, do you have antibodies? Because if you do, then you should be fine potentially for the rest of the season. You know, I think in order for anything to get going, testing has to happen on like a daily basis. And it can't be like those guys at St. John Fisher that come down and they might take the night off or something and go down to a place, a restaurant down the street or whatever. It's like, no, 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 you can't do that. Like you are staying at this facility basically locked down here and you're not going anywhere else and we're testing you daily potentially or you can go out but you have to be tested on the way back you know what i mean you have a lot you put a lot out there (laughs) i'm all over the map i have no idea (laughs) where i'm going but i don't think we're gonna so so i don't think we're gonna have testing capability by the end of july to do to do what you're saying mike to do what we're saying so that people can go back to work safely well to go back to work safely like you've already talked about different like your job, right? And you're concerned. Well, there's a lot of mitigation strategies that could be put into place by your employer in terms of you can work from home a lot more. Maybe we'll see a fundamental shift in American society, like a big push towards working from home. Even if a vaccine is developed tomorrow, people are like, hey, look at this commute time it saves, more time with my family, less economic costs, less congestion, less pollution. Look at the, all the tertiary effects of that. So may, maybe we'll see that happen. But Maybe you have a rotating schedule going into work, but it, I do think it's a, a fundamental different question with the NFL and the crowds and things like that. Um, but you hit on a lot of things. You talked about legality, right? Like, I mean, there's a First Amendment to the Constitution that says you can't prohibit people from assembling peacefully. And like you, you can suggest they stay at home 
and for a short time like enforce that but it if it actually worked its way through the courts like you it's not enforceable you know what i mean like you can't tell people for a year to you can't leave your house yeah <laughs> like it's just not gonna happen um yeah, you know, I don't know. Do you want to talk about society or the NFL? Like, well, can, let's let's talk about so, let's 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 go down the society route because, um, you know, in like a personal note, and how coronavirus has affected my family, my father's cousin, um, which would be my second cousin, she, she's in her sixties or seventies. I'm not really sure, but her husband has was tested positive for coronavirus, and he's in an ICU right now on a ventilator. And my so, but my father's cousin. Um, she's, she had shown symptoms. She's doing better. She's at home right now. Um, she wasn't bad enough where she needed to be in the ICU also, but they didn't test her. Like I mentioned, um, she, she, they, they cause they're like, she has it. <laughs> she has coronavirus. We're not testing her. And she got a, she got a letter from, um, the County that she lives in, in downstate New York that said, if you leave your house, you will be arrested, <laughs> you know? So, which I totally but get. That's different. I, I mean, I hope everybody gets better for sure. But of course, in your family, but fundamentally different from like all the case law, very, very old, but it's specific to society imposing it on a specific person, like to a specific person, like typhoid Mary, you can be like, you're infecting people. You can't work as a chef anymore in New York city, right? Like you can't running a boarding house anymore. Like you can specifically attack if is not the correct word, but limit that person's rights but for all of society, I'm, that's the distinction. Yeah. For if that makes sense. Yeah, you can only do that for so long. Right now, it's all voluntary too. You mean you tell people you have to, you know, self isolate, right? But there comes a point where people are like, I just don't feel like doing it anymore, right? Right now, we're all scared. We're all doing it because we're scared of contracting something, a novel virus, a virus that's never been known to mankind, so nobody has antibodies for it. So. We're all doing it voluntarily, but do you think there will be? I, I don't think there will be a point where I get so sick and tired of being at home and working from home. Luckily, I'm able to work from home. Where I'll be like, no, I need to be with people right now. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, I I, well, I don't see that. I, I mean, I you have more in the sense of like the economic fallout, right? Like if mm. if you worked at oh yeah a business where you could go in. And make money if you were self-employed doing um, laying bricks, right? And you could go build sidewalks. You could go build brick walls for people, whatever, and make money or listen to a suggestion like, oh, you shouldn't leave your house. Eventually, you're going to starve in your house. You're going to go work. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough decision because right now, I mean, people are feeling that there's a stimulus package going out, you know, from the government um, to support people. But is it enough? Is it enough is there going to be another one with people are out but, of work for another month i mean it's tragic right for sure but it's it's dangerous if you're over 80 and have comorbidities right if you have three other risk factors like for young middle-aged older people like you'll you'll be fine right and that's why people are eventually <laughs> going to leave their homes well i mean if you look at the population of the people at a Buffalo Bills training camp, the players especially. I mean, you're talking about people at peak physical condition, you know, unless you're Kelvin Benjamin, right? So, like, they're coming in. These guys are in great shape. They're, you know, working out 365 days a year. They're the least at-risk people based on age and based on physical condition of, like, anybody in the entire country, right? 
so by yeah, then, yeah, but you still don't want to get sick and have it spread around your whole team. Well, like, yeah, that, I think that's more the danger. That, yes, of course, close proximity. But you're talking about low risk and keeping people well, from, from. We're talking doing about a lot of jobs. things like low risk of if, if you dying. Yeah, but if you're, it's like, who? What perspective are you looking at from like that individual person? Like they they wouldn't have to worry. They probably wouldn't even know they're sick. But from that whole team, like maybe you have older scouts or older coaches that are overweight. Right. Like, yeah, that's a, that's a big risk factor. Sure. Um, or if guys actually do have the flu like symptoms, like it could derail your whole season. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think we're talking about a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different angles. Yeah, we're all over the map. John, John, what do you think about all of this? Yeah, I think there will be a training camp in some capacity. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> well, if you look at it, so so I was thinking why? Just... <laughs> right, like like let me put it this way, right? Like Nike comes out with a new pair of running shoes. Like we're all runners. Nike comes out with a, a new or let's say I'm a runner. Like Nike comes out with a new pair of running shoes and it'll shave freaking a minute off my mile time. My mile time goes from whatever uh seven minutes to six minutes like holy holy cow shaved a mile off your mile time well am i gonna move up in in the next race how high am i gonna move in the standings like i'm gonna move up zero because everyone is gonna go buy the same shoe so like training camp you gain nothing it's the it's they all get the same thing or they get they don't get it so as long as you don't have some teams doing it and some teams not it's the same for everybody so if you just say safety of the players nobody's doing it it's the same as hey we're gonna we're gonna do it for everybody I don't so they shouldn't do it <laughs> well what? why ever have it why ever have it um because they want to maximize the product on the field but if if it's a one person yeah. per however many teams dies I'm like oh it's probably not worth it <laughs> could you imagine if if they allowed teams to go back to training camp while this was still going on and like one coach or if, I mean, much less like, like a a section of players got coronavirus or potentially like you mentioned, Mike, an older coach, because there's plenty of coaches in their sixties and seventies or whatever, you know, that could be at high risk and they ended up passing away from this. Like, could you imagine the outrage in the NFL or within an organization because of, something that would, you know, that happened because of that? Like, you, could you do training camp and not involve those people? Oh, our, you know, our secondary coach can't come because he's, you know, seven, like Dick LeBeau can't come to training camp because he's in his 70s and, you know, he's a high risk for, you know, potentially, you know, it being lethal for someone or fatal in that, for someone in that age range. You know, could you imagine the backlash of something like that? And and I I would so let's look let's look at just I mean this is the most non scientific way of looking at it but it's kind of mathematical and the fact that if you look at it, so I have I have some friends that work within you know the Western New York hospital system and they said that what when we'll see the peak of the coronavirus epidemic within our hospitals you know right now they're starting they, I don't think they've even seen it completely yet in New York City. But when will when it'll get to us in Western New York is the middle of May, right? So you're talking about one of the first confirmed cases coming from um, the end of January, 
which was roughly at this point, it was two months ago, right? Is that three months ago? Two months ago, two and a half months ago. So if you're talking about January, the end of January to the middle of May, you're talking almost four months, right? To to reach its peak. So if you want to talk about that being the peak and then it, it going back down, which we hope it'll be, you know, it'll be an abbreviated slope down because of all the flattening of the curve and everything like that. If you're talking about four months to get to the peak, then you're thinking four months or a little bit less to get to the end of the peak of this curve. You're talking beginning to middle of September, right? Where people feel comfortable leaving their homes or it gets down to a rate where it's low enough that people people can go back to work, people can do these things. Um, maybe not do the large assemblies like an NFL stadium, but there's enough testing. The the cases have gone down because we're still we're still on the upward curve. We're still trending upwards. We're still reaching that peak yet as far as cases in the state, in the country. So we're still not. And at any moment, the way that, you know, pandemics work is even though we're on our slope down, if people stop social isolating too early, then we'll go. We'll, the, those cases will go right back up because we're exposing more people. So if you just look at it mathematically, the, the end of this could be where we're lower is beginning in middle of September. Does that math make sense to you guys? It's a little depressing. I mean, not to be flippant, what's the what's your point? <laughs> well, I don't think there's going to be a training camp. Is my point. I don't okay. think I don't think there's going to be a training camp. I think that we're going to um there I think there might be an abbreviated training camp starting in late August or something like that. But so that's a training camp. Th- there's not going to be a St. John Fisher. They're not going to do that there. It's going to be a one Bills drive where they can control I mean, everything. Would you, would you go see a game? Like I wouldn't go to a no. game without until there's like a vaccine and I've had it. No, that's another Probably thing. Like people are going to change their habits, all right? Like uh, significantly until it's it's been dealt with. Not even if you're worried about yourself, but there must there's elderly people in your life and you don't want to live with the guilt of killing them. Oh, yeah. essence because you wanted to go to a football game or you wanted to go out to eat or you wanted to go to the bar or go to the movies or whatever or go on spring break <laughs> <laughs> right yeah yeah exactly so we can pretty much assume there there still may be an NFL season based on that but you're talking about only as opposed to 80,000 people or 70,000 people in New Era Field you're talking like a couple hundred you're talking no crowd you're talking media personnel maybe Maybe even media personalities just watch from home. I don't know. Maybe all press conferences are virtual. You're talking coaching staff. You're talking um, training personnel in case there's an injury, right? Like ambulance, you know, training staff. You're talking coaches, players, and that's it in the whole NFL stadium, right? I mean, that's what we're looking at. And all those people that go in that day have to be tested. So you're talking tests for every single player going in so they don't infect someone by mistake in the locker room or in the field because it's not like you can have, what is it, 53, 53 active players on the roster in any give or 46, I should say, 46 active players on the roster every given game. You can't give them 46 separate rooms to get ready in on both sides of the ball. They all have to get together and congregate in one area. So, you know, until there's testing for that on a much larger scale, you can't even have an NFL game. Does that make sense? So we're pretty much agreed that there's not going to be any play. There's not going to be any crowd at an NFL game. 
with the way they were thinking at this, at least at this point, with the way they were dealing with things, unless things change drastically, because we're not going to get a, a vaccine for 12 to 18 months. So the vaccine is out. Like, it's not like it's one of those things where it's like, oh, well, you know, I can prove that I've been vaccinated so I can get into the stadium to watch the game. Like, that's 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 not going to happen by the time September rolls around. So now you're talking we're going to be watching all these games with players that go home at the end of the day. So you never know if, you know, if schools are back in session now, some of them have children. You're talking about them potentially being exposed every day that they're, you know, at home with their families. <laughs> like this thing just keeps going and unraveling and going into all of these different facets of life that you don't think about because we're not at this point. Because we don't we don't usually think we're like the government. We don't think that far in advance. We think of what we're dealing with right now in our personal lives, but we don't think months ahead and how this is going to affect us. And this conversation, I guess, is my point of, of that it it lends into to much more than this. I could easily see there being no training camp or an abbreviated training camp. All of your practice sessions, well, there's going to be no physical practices, but um, all of their meetings will be held online. And then you're talking about games being done with no crowds, with just the essential personnel, and the people that go there will have to be tested. That's that's my that's my prediction for how this is going to go. What do you guys think about that? I don't know. Am I right? Wrong? Go to hell. Do you see that? Is that how you see it? But based on our conversation, do you see it happening that way, or do you see it going a different direction? Do you think by then, because they, they, I mean, every other sports group has shown that they don't care about losing money in order to combat this. March Madness was canceled. Um, you know, we talked about the NF- NBA, NFL seasons. Golf is, is, the Masters was canceled or at least postponed. Like all of these. I, I don't I don't necessarily agree with it that they were willing to lose money. I think you'd have such public outcry that you're in an untenable position. And I think speculating to September, like things can change drastically one way or another, right? Like you could have business as usual with, with enough testing or a hundred percent of the population gets it and either recovers or dies. And then there's no, we don't care anymore. It could go on as normal or everything could be completely shut down and you take the year off. Like just with things changing daily, it's hard to know where to fall in that spectrum. No, you're right. Things can change as of tomorrow, right? But I mean, as it is right now, I guess that's how I see it. I don't see, I see a very abbreviated training camp or no training camp whatsoever. And um, I, I still think there's going to be a season as of now because I think testing will get better. But um, I don't see, I don't see this being something where there's going to be a uh, a crowd in the stadium. One of our uh, one of our followers over Twitter. Rich Perks 27 was stuck in Peru for like the last four weeks trying to get back into the country from, and he was, he was showing pictures of Twitter of like people just gathering in the streets, just like, he's like, what are you guys doing? (laughs) And it's just, it's, it's crazy. I could not imagine being stuck in another another country, like while trying to get back home just so you could be self-isolated at home um, and social distance for everyone there. Um, Do you guys have any, um, I mentioned my um, my father's cousin, my second cousin, husband, you know, getting uh, affected by this. Do you guys have any stories? John, I know your wife's in, in healthcare, um, you know, in the healthcare system here in Western New York. How is she and how are how are how are you guys dealing with it? Um, well, she's doing OK right now. Um, she's, you know, um, 
not in an area currently that's a higher risk to be exposed to it. But that's not to say that they couldn't move her uh, to an area like that. She's kind of nervous about that. Yeah, it's it's isn't that crazy? We were talking about this, you know, just a few weeks ago on the podcast, just randomly. And to be a hundred percent honest, I thought that um, the coronavirus COVID nineteen was going to be treated like a lot of the pandemics that had come through over the years. I mean, you're talking like you know uh, Ebola, H one N one, SARS, you know, all of these things that came about that in the end never really affected a huge population of people like coronavirus did. And it's just like, you know, with with all those things coming through and never really affecting any of us, swine flu, you know, the avian flu, things like that, um, you know, it felt like kind of like the, in a one way, like the pandemic that cried wolf because you kept hearing it over and over again. And then nothing ever happened to a large scale. So that when we started talking about a month ago, I'm like, ah, you know, I, I didn't think it definitely wasn't going to happen, but I just didn't take it as seriously i think a lot of us didn't and now that we're in this stage and we're talking we're even discussing the fact that the nfl season might not happen or might happen in a weird way you know unlike anything we've ever seen it's just it's kind of surreal right yeah it's pretty crazy i mean i you know i never thought that we would get to the point we're at now to be honest no i i asked my mom you know who's in her early seventies, you know, what do you, have you guys ever seen anything like this or experience? She's like, no, <laughs> never. It's, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's, it's a crazy time. You know, obviously, I mean, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm hoping that there will be an NFL season and the hope that this doesn't affect them. But, um, you know, it's, it's good to talk about these things and try to use some logic and some, some perspective in this. So, um, do you guys have anything else you'd like to add to the conversation on this? Go Bills, go Bills. Go Bills. Thanks. Thanks, John. What about you, Mike? Isolate, isolate. Absolutely. So from there, um, you know, we're going to keep tracking this. We're going to keep, hopefully, um, every week is more of an update. And we know a little bit more. Like this last week, like I mentioned, we just found out that the draft was being, you know, was definitely canceled in Las Vegas like we all thought it would be anyway. Uh, done virtually, but um, yeah, optimistic that, you know, things could change, like Mike said, in a week or a day or a month in that, you know, testing can be done um, and maybe they're finding out, maybe a vaccine isn't 12 to 18 months away, maybe somehow it gets pushed through uh, quicker, um, but it doesn't sound like that's likely based on the interviews that I've listened to. But anyway, um, appreciate everyone listening and uh, being there to listen to us discuss this NFL season and where we think it'll go and the potential that it, the, the of, of where it'll end up. So signing off for John. Let's go Buffalo Bills, Super Bowl. Let's do it. For Mike. Stay safe and healthy. <laughs> Come on, John. There's a global pandemic. <laughs> trying to be upbeat here. You tried to be Optimist, upbeat. Positive. Uh, well, I'm going to try to be upbeat and positive and also talk about the the pandemic going through is go Bills. If this pandemic ends up affecting the NFL season, the Bills will be in the driver's seat to win the Super Bowl. If they're, By the way, can we just say if if this NFL season doesn't happen, this would have been the season that the Bills won the Super Bowl. I'm pretty, pretty sure that that's a guarantee, right? For me, Nate, go Bills. 
and we'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you for listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Download and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast service. Email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. That's Charlie Tango Whiskey Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ctwpod. And most importantly, go Bills! Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts.